0: Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Uh, Turn uh, back to uh, our Wednesday night book, First Kings. I want to pick up. uh, We're scheduled to be in uh, Chapter Ten tonight, but we need to go back and uh, do a little more work in Chapter Nine. So, First Kings Chapter Nine tonight. Uh, First Kings Chapter Nine. Gary, I'm not there, but I'm on my way. I'm on my way. There we go. There we go. Are you there? Do you have a Bible? Did you get there? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 9. So, of course, we're dealing with the reign of Solomon uh, here in this portion of 1 Kings. And uh, we've seen uh, much uh, regarding his reign already. Of course, we've seen the Lord bless him with great wisdom. That that was a blessing. Uh, we've seen him exercise that wisdom in a variety of different ways, Uh, Has he been perfect at every step along the way? Has he been absolutely perfect? No, he has not. Uh, And I think tonight we'll see a great deal of wisdom being exercised by Solomon. Again, wisdom from the Lord. I don't think we see Solomon uh, doing so absolutely perfectly, but aren't you glad tonight that if you know the Lord, you know grace from the Lord. Uh, We're called to grow unto perfection, Brother Art. That's in the sense of maturity, right, to be growing up in the Lord, Uh, but we understand tonight that this side of heaven will not be uh, perfect in in a practical sense, Uh, and that's where we meet the grace of God every day. Uh, May I ask you this tonight? Is God meeting his promises to you uh, even though we are not absolutely perfect, sinless believers? Can you say that tonight? I'm not an absolutely perfect, sinless believer. I know I have growing to do still, but despite that, God is meeting his promises to me. We can say that, right? That's his grace. That's his grace, and uh, we're thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful for that tonight. I trust you are, too. Uh, I believe tonight we'll see examples of God's grace here in this passage, Uh, together with examples of Solomon's faithfulness to put the wisdom that he has received from the Lord into practice uh, practically. Now, I'm kind of all over the map here. You you forgive me, but let let me ask you another question tonight. Has God blessed you with a spiritual gift tonight? Do you have spiritual gift? Amen. You you do. Uh, Do you have talents and abilities that the Lord has blessed you with? Amen. Even before you were saved, right? You understand that the Lord made you with certain talents and certain abilities. Uh, are we thankful for those things? Amen, uh, brother Ray. The Lord's given us those things for a purpose, hasn't He? And it should be our desire to invest those things um, in in serving the Lord, uh, in, in benefiting Him somehow, some way. And I want to we'll revisit that idea along the way here tonight, also. Now. Just to kind of put this back in context, you remember last week, last Wednesday night, uh, we saw Solomon, the temple is built, Solomon's temple is built, the house of God. Um, We saw the dedication of the temple, uh, and then the Lord appeared to Solomon, the Lord interacted with him, and uh, they had an important conversation. Uh, Solomon had prayed a long prayer, and the Lord interacted with him. And Solomon also interacted with uh, Hiram, the king of where? Do you remember? Where is he from? Tyre. Not Sidon, but Tyre, right? Exactly. Um, and he had given something to, Solomon had gave something to Hiram, the king of Tyre. Do you remember what that was? 20 cities of, of Galilee, right? And and, and you know, we, we made the observation that that probably would not have been God's will, that uh, Solomon would would take uh, these land, these cities, and all the people who resided there uh, and given them over to uh, a pagan king, a, a Gentile king, not, not a believer. There's no indication uh, that he's a believer at all. That would be a problem. That would be a, a pretty significant wobble or, or misstep in Solomon's walk with the Lord, uh, we also spent some time last week talking about the fact that, that Hiram was dissatisfied, displeased, ungrateful uh, for that gift, and we spent some time looking at that. Um, I won't pick it up here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pick it up in verse 14 and, and keep moving, okay? So let's let's bow our heads. We'll pray. We'll jump back in here. Uh, Father God, we do thank you, Lord, tonight uh, for the sunshine. Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful day. It is a blessing and we're grateful. Lord, thank you to be here in your house tonight. Thank you for the work that has been completed here this week. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing on us, uh, growing us, Lord, as we yield to you and receive your words. Father, we're grateful. Lord, I pray tonight as we spend uh, time here in First Kings chapter 9 that you help us to see the things that you'd have us to see, to understand some some principles, Lord, that that you would have us to understand. Father, we ask you to uh, help us, Lord, to receive your words and, and to apply these principles to our lives practically. Lord, we know we'll benefit from that, but I pray tonight our desire would be once again, Lord, that this would bring you honor and glory. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray that you help me now. Uh, I need that. I ask you for it and I thank you for it. Lord, work here now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we ready? Okay. First uh, Kings chapter 9, I want to pick it up here right in, at verse 14. Uh, so Solomon has given Hiram these 20 cities of Galilee, the cities, the land, the people, evidently the, the whole kit and caboodle, uh, if you will, and he was displeased. We saw that. But uh, here in verse 14, I think it's a little bit of an unexpected verse. The Bible says, and Hiram... Uh, sent to the king six score talents of gold. I didn't try to figure out how much that would be worth today, but it's a lot. Uh, This is a significant quantity of gold that would have had a very large value. I'll be honest with you, there's some debate about whether this verse uh, comes chronologically after what we've seen or Uh, if this is just recapping or, or again, summarizing, restating the fact that Hiram had delivered gold to Solomon previously. Uh, I think, honestly, there's no reason to to think that the verse doesn't belong here chronologically. The account seems to be uh, pretty chronological. It'd be kind of surprising if if this didn't fall chronologically. So it's very interesting, then, and somewhat unexpected uh, to see we, we we made a lot of Hiram being displeased, uh, dissatisfied, not at all satisfied uh, with Solomon's gifts. We don't know exactly why, but we know he was not happy. He was not satisfied with it. But the next thing we see here is he's giving uh, to Solomon a large amount of gold. Why is that? Uh, I don't know if you if you've read through this and kind of looked at that and uh, and wondered about that. Why Why would this be? Why is he doing that? Some have said that um, maybe he's just paying, uh, maybe he's just paying Solomon for the cities, but Solomon intended them as a gift, number one, and, and secondly, he was displeased with the gift. So I, I think it seems unlikely to me that he would be uh, inclined for those two reasons, to to offer this massive payment for this Gift with which he was displeased. So, uh, what's it about? What what is it about? Um, has Has Hiram supplied anything else to Solomon up to this point? Uh, has God used Hiram and the resources of Tyre? Remember, it was a it was a place of commerce on the Mediterranean. It was a wealthy place with lots of resources and access to lots of resources uh, through trade. Has God used that? Um, that reality and the relationship between these two men to provide Solomon with anything that he needed up to this point. Uh, Do you remember? What was it, Gary? Yeah, I mean, he he supplied uh, different types of wood, we have the details, uh, that were used uh, in the construction of of the temple, cedar and and fir. Uh, Used in the construction of the temple, uh, seemed to be used probably in the construction of Solomon's own home, uh, the palace for his wife that he created as well. Um, yet God has used this honestly pagan Gentile king to provide uh, for Solomon those things that he would need for his home uh, and for the temple, the house of God. Uh, he's used uh, this man uh, to provide uh, for Solomon for the things that, that he would need uh, for God's purposes. Are there other examples in Scripture where God has worked through unbelievers to somehow benefit, uh, to somehow aid His people? Rich, you're shaking your head, so I got to call on you. What, what's what's one example of that? Abraham had a conflict with Pharaoh. Go on. yeah, I, I think about the Lord's um, the Lord's protection of Moses. Who was it that plucked baby Moses out of the water? I think this is my go-to example. You know that. Who was it? It was Pharaoh's daughter. Believer or unbeliever? No reason at all to think she's a believer, right? But God clearly used her uh, to protect Moses, to pluck him out and uh, in, in, to provide for him uh, in, in the years to follow. And, and listen, you could probably think of a lot of different examples of God providing for the needs of his people through unbelieving people. Is, is that okay? Is it, is it okay if God chooses to provide for his people that way? I don't have any problem with that, Marilyn. I mean, god it's God's prerogative, right? He, he's, he, he's able to do whatever he chooses to do um, we know he's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. So, uh, certainly, we can't look at this and say, "There's any, oh, I think that's wrong." Well, God doesn't think it's wrong, so it's not wrong. Uh, he can provide for us any way that that he wants to. I think this is a principle that that we can see in our own lives uh, today. Most of us, probably all of us, have have worked for people who were not believers and uh, had jobs in companies where the leadership were not believers. Uh, and yet we know that God gave us peace about being in that position and uh, it was an opportunity for us to not only receive the income that we need in order for our practical needs to be met, but create an opportunity to share the gospel appropriately and wisely uh, at, at times. So most of us, almost certainly all of us have had the opportunity of God providing for us uh, through unbelievers in some way, shape or form. It's just something that God does He can provide for us any way that He chooses to. Can you think of a time when God has provided for you uh, in a way that was pretty miraculous? Those two words don't go together very well, but can can you think of a time when God provided for you and and you just went, wow, (laughs) that's just what I needed, just when I needed it, or it was a lot more than I needed, but just when I needed it, I could just say that that would not have happened. Uh, without God working uh, miraculously to provide for me at that point in time. Can you think of an example like that? I know some of you have stories like that, and, and they're remarkable, and, and we, we've we seen God work that way in, in our lives as well, and he, he's a God who can do that. He's a God to promise, who has promised to meet the needs of those who have sought Christ and his righteousness, and sure enough, he does, and often it's miraculous, and Often it involves uh, unbelievers uh, some, some in some cases, and um, it's it, it's God um, so I look at a verse like verse fourteen and i and i i don't know exactly what's going on there, but it it sure looks to me like God is continuing to provide for Solomon uh, through this man, despite the fact that this man was displeased, he felt moved, he was motivated by something we could have our theories and you may have a theory or two or more, but uh, he was motivated uh, by something uh, to provide this large amount of gold uh, to Solomon. Um, And I I look at that, I I just marvel at that because I I, I don't know how to explain it except to say, hey, that's God orchestrating in that situation and working in that man's heart uh, to provide for the needs of Solomon and for the people uh, of his kingdom. Now, does Solomon deserve that? Does he deserve that? We could debate that. <laughs> we, we could debate that. He's been pretty faithful, but has he been perfectly obedient? Who's he married to? Weren't there some worship issues? Haven't there been some, some hiccups along the way? Someone would say, well, those are, are those major things? I would say those are major things. He, uh, he, he married a, a, an Egyptian woman, the, son, the daughter of Pharaoh, I almost said son of Pharaoh, daughter of Pharaoh. Uh, there, there's been uh, problems in his worship early on. These are major things. Uh, we might be, uh, tend to minimize them, but, but they're really not small things, and they become bigger things uh, in his walk with the Lord over time. So if God is providing miraculously and, and enormously for Solomon at this point, given his imperfect obedience, you'd have to say, hey, that's, that's a really clear picture of God's grace. I, I think it is. Uh, I don't know how you look at it, but as, as I've looked at it and thought about it this week, um, uh, I, I see God at work there supernaturally and Uh, despite the fact that Solomon has not had a perfect walk with the Lord. And so uh, I see a wonderful picture of grace there, and I marvel at it, and I'm reminded by it that God's provision for me uh, is a picture of his faithfulness to his promises, but it's also a picture of his grace toward me and toward each of us, because none of us deserves what we get. Amen? We we just don't. (laughs) We're sinners, saved by undeserved favor right it's undeserved it's earned by christ at the cross but we don't deserve it it's it's freely given to us uh by faith and uh it's grace Uh, our salvation is available to us by grace god's provision uh is available to us by grace and that's all earned not by us but by christ uh at the cross and we just do well Just stop and say, Lord, thank you. You are faithful to me despite my imperfections, despite my sin, uh, and I am grateful for you and for your grace. Also, on the other side of that coin, we, we do well to say, Lord, help me not to make that a license in my life to sin against you or be sloppy in my walk with you. Lord, help me to stand guard against that. I know you're gracious, I know you're merciful, I know you're going to keep your promises to me because you're a faithful God. Please don't allow me to take your faithfulness or your grace to be a license to just live any way I want to. Lord, give me a heart. Give me your strength to live according to your words. Uh, Let's go on here. Uh, In the balance here of the chapter, you you see a lot, but I think the overriding theme here is... Uh, Solomon um, putting uh, just more examples of the wisdom that he has received from the Lord into practice to accomplish the things that he uh, desires and, and really, frankly, needs to accomplish as the king. There's a whole bunch of practical uh, goals that he's going to need to be thinking about. There's, uh, there's military uh, goals that need to be thought about. There's, there's the need for defense Uh, There's the need for a variety of different sort of civil engineering projects to be accomplished uh, for the national defense. Uh, There's going to need to be people uh, to do that. There's going to need to be the financial resources to do that. He's just received a large sum of money, amazingly and graciously. God's grace is amazing, amen. Amazingly and graciously. And so some of that need is being met, but Solomon recognizes that there's going to be an ongoing financial need, and so he's thinking about all these things, and uh, I think you can see he's, he's doing his best to, uh, to walk according to the wisdom that God has given him. Look at verse 15. Uh, verse 15 says this, and this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised. Uh, evidently, he, he levied a tax a financial tax, and he also um, obliged some non-Jewish people, the Canaanite people who were still there, uh, basically conscripted them into service to perform a lot of the work that needed to happen for these projects to be um, accomplished. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, evidently he he levied a tax recognizing that hey, as much as there's been much gold given, we're, we're going to need more to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished practically, and so that's what he did. Uh, for to build, these are the specific reasons, for to build the house of the Lord uh, and his own house uh, and this place called Nilo or, uh, and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor or Hazor uh, and Megiddo, Place also called Armageddon uh, and Gazer, so there's there's a bunch going on here in this verse, and I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on, on any of this, but uh, there's there's kind of a theme here that comes out of the um, the need. Uh, we know he had to build the Lord's house; that's been accomplished. Perhaps it's not been completely paid for his own house as well. Um, the rest of the places that are in view here seem to factor primarily into this concern for the national defense, mil- military considerations. Did the people have enemies at this point in history? Did they have enemies? Sure they did. They had enemies. Uh, they were really kind of surrounded by enemies. There's a lot of Canaanites that are still there in the land also, and they're probably living mostly fairly peaceably in the land, but but uh, there, there were enemies sort of surrounding the land, and so... Uh, it would be wise to be prepared uh, to defend the land against, against the enemies that, that God allowed to, to be there. And so this, this place, uh, Millo, uh, is a defensive project. It, um, it appears to be a, a fortified position within Jerusalem between the city of David and, and the upper city where, where the temple was. Uh, It was a fortification, uh, a wall on a mound, uh, a mound really, uh, where um, it it would be a a way of defending uh, an attack from from that side at least. And then you have this this place um, Hazor, H-A-Z-O-R. This appears to be further up north, uh, north of the sea. What's the big body of water in the north? What is that one? (laughs) What is it? Down in the south, you have the Dead Sea, and up in the north, you have the Sea of Galilee, right? Galilee was up in the north, right? And then the river that ran between the two was the Jordan. The Jordan. Praise God, we got that. Uh, Hazor. Uh, Hazor. Um, This is a place that seems to be very important militarily. Uh, it's, it's a fortification in a pass, uh, a place where an army could easily pass through uh, between the plains of Jezreel and Sharon. Now, this reminds me that, um, you know, Tom Baker was here recently, and he, he was speaking about archaeology, but he also does a lot of educational work regarding Bible geography, geography, uh, and he's posting up these videos every week, and you see me sharing them on, on Facebook. There's not a lot I can recommend on Facebook, but uh, Tom actually has a video. It's a, a three or four minute video on this place, and it's, it's worth taking a look at. It's, it's worth three or four minutes of, of your time to take a look at this and just kind of get a sense of where it is and why it was so important strategically. This is a place that remains very important strategically, uh, we know Megiddo. The plain around Megiddo is, appears to be where Armageddon will be fought. It's it's a place that has been militarily, strategically, um, valuable and important really throughout history. And so Solomon recognized that, and he recognized that he needed to fortify this place and uh, and defend this place um, really from from one side of the valley to the other. And and Hazor and Megiddo would be sort of um, they, they would be points in, on this same plain, in this same valley. Uh, this this would be important. Um, it's interesting to note that archeologists uh, have found um, stables um, for, that would accommodate at least 450 horses and 150 chariots um, at Megiddo that seem to date to the time of Solomon. So it's just always interesting when, when the archeological record can corroborate scripture. We don't need it to do that. We believe no matter what, but archeology span corroborates this verse and says, sure enough, at that time, there was a lot of effort in different points in the land to kind of shore them up militarily. And uh, Solomon as a king who cared about the people and, and the land, uh, would 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 want to be wise and, and have a military strategy that reflected that wisdom and begin to take steps to uh, defend the land and, and protect the land. So these seem to be just very wise, practical civil engineering projects to provide for uh, the defense of the city. Then there's a, a place at the end of verse 15. Um, the, the nation, I mean to say. And in verse 15, it's this place, uh, Gezer, G-E-Z-E-R, Gezer. Uh, It's the, the, This is um, expanded upon it in verse 16. It's certainly interesting. Let's look at this. Uh, verse 16 says this, for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, believer or not? Not. Uh, for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, we don't have great history with him, although we've married his daughter, evidently, uh, for Pharaoh king, not the same Pharaoh. For Pharaoh king of Egypt had gone up and taken Gezer. Now, this is a place within the land. This is part of the land. It's a place, it uh, seems to be at least, uh, a, a town or city within the confines of the land that God has given uh, to the people. Um, uh, in verse 15, um, Solomon is is doing work there in this place, uh, but the reason given for the, the work in this place is that Pharaoh, verse 16, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken it. Uh, I don't think he bought it. I think, Richie he attacked it and took it. He burnt it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in that city, uh, and he he'd given it for a present unto his daughter, uh, no surprise, who, who's Solomon's wife. That's quite a present, uh, that, that, that's quite a present. He went and, and took this city and burned it and slayed the people there uh, and then gave it to his daughter. Marilyn, kind of like a wedding present, sort of. That, that strikes us as, as pretty unusual, amen? Uh, and so Solomon has you know, taken this gift from uh, Pharaoh and evidently he's restoring it uh, for all the practical purposes uh, in, in verse 15. Now, <laughs> what do you make of that? What what do you make of verse 16? Why did the Lord permit that? Just stop and think about this for a second. Did the Lord have to permit the, the Egyptian Pharaoh to come into the land and take this city? Did God could God have prevented that? Church, could He have? We absolutely could have. He's He's absolutely able to do whatever He wants. Uh, he's omnipotent. Uh, he could have. Did he prevent that? Evidently, he did not. Might we conclude that he has a reason for that, right? He he permitted this Pharaoh's army to come in and take this place, destroy it, kill the Canaanites that were there. There were Canaanites there. There were Canaanites there. Uh, The Lord probably has a purpose for this. Uh, why, Why would he allow this? Why would he allow this? Any thoughts, Zach? Uh, maybe it was chastisement for the perhaps it, so. Zach says perhaps it's chastening uh, for the fact that um, Solomon had given away some cities. So he allows the Pharaoh to come charging into the land and and destroy the city. And then, but then Pharaoh gives it to Solomon's wife, his daughter. Interesting. Um, Could it still be chastisement? Is is there an aspect in which it still could be chastisement? Even though Pharaoh, the the leader of Egypt, (laughs) gave it to Solomon's wife, and really by extension to Solomon, could there still be an element of chastening uh, in that? Who lived in that place? Canaanites. Are they supposed to be there? Are, are, are these Canaanites supposed to be in the land? Are they supposed to be there? Brother Garcia, are they supposed to be there? When, when the people went into the land, weren't they supposed to have dealt with them? And it's been a long time now, right? Uh, it seems to me that we've become comfortable with the idea that these Canaanites are going to live in different places throughout the land. There, there's no recorded effort at this time uh, to do anything about that. It, it seems like we've said, well... You know we've kind of inherited them, and so we have to kind of deal with them, and there, there's there's no recording of of any anything any effort to do anything about that, um, and so Pharaoh comes in and he kills the Canaanites and burns the city, uh, and then gives it to the people. Uh, Zach, is there is there a sense in which there might be some chastening in view there? Uh, do you think God is saying something like this? Hey. <laughs> Hey, this is, this is what I had called you to do. This is what I had called you to do. And not only did you not do it when you came into the land, um, you, you've just completely forgotten about what I had called you to do over time. And now you're just ignoring uh, what, I, what I have commanded you to do. You know, to deal with these Canaanites, possess the land completely. Um, it, but look... But look, I can accomplish my desire any way I want to. Uh, I wonder how Solomon might have felt about this. How, how do you suppose he, he would feel about this? Feel guilty? Why? Because he didn't do it. Uh, it. It was it was to have been accomplished by the people as, as they would, and they didn't. And uh, I wonder, I wonder, Zach, if there is an element of chastening here. The Lord is dealing with the people by allowing someone else to accomplish this uh, and then kind of present it to Solomon and and his wife as a gift. I think it would have been a very convicting reminder that that's what God had called our people to do when we came into the land. Uh, I think this would have been very convicting, Uh, and Zach probably fits as chastening in this context because... Not only had they not taken a complete possession of the land by dealing with the Canaanites, Solomon kind of flippantly gave away 20 cities. And I think God looked at that and said, "Nuh, <laughs> uh." Enough. I'm, I'm, I have a kind of a special way to highlight my dissatisfaction. Uh, I think this is probably uh, probably the idea. Now uh, so I think there, there could be an element of chastening here. Um, could there also be an element of grace in view here? By the way, can God's chastening be gracious? Have you thought about that. You tend to think about it sometimes being one or the other, right? God's either he's either correcting me uh, or he's being merciful and gracious, right? We tend to think it's one or the other. But Gary, you you you, you would argue, I believe, that this chastening can be a very gracious thing the fact that god would invest correction in my life i don't deserve god to invest anything in my life particularly if i've been off doing my own thing and ignoring him but if god invests in my life some correction uh, to steer me back on track uh, i don't deserve that but i'll benefit from that perhaps isn't that gracious exactly what happened to you um god's chastening is actually very gracious it's actually very gracious. They fit together perfectly they're not they're not antonyms they're not antithetical ideas they are uh, they work together they they fit together. Um, if this is correction there, there's a sense in which that that is very gracious. Um, the fact that um, the Lord has evidently worked through Pharaoh, an unbeliever, to um, rid this city of Canaanites that were to have been ridden many years earlier uh, and given it back over to Solomon without these Canaanites residing there, that might be viewed as very gracious also. I mean, that, that, that is a, a gift from the Lord uh, these wicked, unbelieving people were not supposed to be there. And God, God had some a man come in and deal with that and then hand it back to Solomon. I think this, the fact that someone else had to do this would be very convicting, and there is, a, there is an element of correction here. I think that is gracious. That is gracious. Uh, the fact the Lord handed this back to Solomon and his wife, rid of these Canaanites, that is, that is actually very gracious as well. I think there's probably other principles in view here. You may be thinking of of some of those, but uh, I offer those ideas for your consideration tonight. Lord, thank you for being gracious toward me, for being faithful toward me. Lord, thank you for uh, graciously correcting us. Lord, thank you. Let's move on. Um, Verse 17, Solomon built uh, Gazer, probably rebuilt it, uh, and this place, Beth-Haron, Beth-Haron the Nether. Uh, evidently, this is a place where there was an upper and lower um, uh, uh, parts of, of the city. I'm trying to think, I, I feel like there's other places that are named that way as well. Can you think of a, a town that has an upper and, and lower uh, in its name? I, I almost had one in my mind, but there's, it's a place where the, the town had two parts, an upper part and a lower part. Uh, verse 18, and Baalith uh, and Tadmor in Syria, which David had conquered, uh, in the wilderness um, in the land. We know that this place Beth-haron, uh, the nether or lower, was uh, historically important militarily. Uh, Joshua dealt with uh, the Amorites there and a handful of their kings, Joshua 10, Joshua 18. Uh, It was a a place that was uh, important militarily, historically. Uh, No doubt Solomon knew that, and so uh, he had to factor that into his uh, plan to defend uh, the the land going forward, and and that evidently is what he's doing here. Uh, Verse 19, he also recognized that in addition to having a standing army, he would have to have a system of providing for them Uh, As they uh, uh, moved around and as they were stationed in different parts of the land, uh, the current conflict in the Ukraine has put the consequence of not having uh, well-equipped supply lines in place, kind of shined a light on that. Uh, Solomon understood that with wisdom from the Lord. And so uh, in verse 19, we have this description that um, he creates uh, in all the cities of store, cities of store, uh, places where they stored provisions uh, would be the idea. All the cities of stores that Solomon had, and cities for his chariots, cities for his horsemen, we mentioned the archaeology that points back to that, uh, and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon uh, and in all the land of his dominion. So uh, you, you see a great deal of wisdom being exercised here. Is it perfect? No, certainly uh, it's not, uh, but, but God's grace is present and active uh, in all of this. Now verse 20 comes back to the Canaanites. Uh, verse 20, and, and all the people that were left of the Amorites, the Hizzites, sorry, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, uh, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able utterly to destroy. Upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service uh, unto this day. What does that mean? Zach, what does that mean? What did he do? He made them slaves. (laughs) He made them slaves. Uh, These Canaanite people that are still in the land, uh, he made them slaves. Some of them may have been already. There's some indication that maybe this was a continuation uh, of a practice that was already in place. You may recall back in Joshua, we see this. Instead of killing or driving out the people uh, as God had commanded, uh, there, there's uh, several places recorded where they were made servants or slaves uh, in, instead of being slain. See that in Joshua 9 and then uh, in Judges 1, verse 28, came to pass when Israel was strong, they put the Canaanites to tribute, did not utterly drive them out. So, there's, there's historical precedent for, uh, in, in at least two places uh, in, in their past, where instead of driving the people out, they made them slaves. Is that okay? Is that okay? By the way, did God command him to do this? It doesn't say that. Are these people even supposed to be here? Are they supposed to be in the land available to make slaves? No, they're not. Uh, no, they're not. They're not supposed to be there. They're supposed to be driven out. Supposed to be dealt with many years earlier, but they're still here. And uh, it seems like this is one of those places where, where Solomon wobbles. Um, he, he needs labor. And so these people are here and he knows they're not believers. They're, they're, they're not Jewish. They're not Israelites. These are people that aren't even supposed to be there. So maybe God will be okay if we enslave them to accomplish a lot of this work that is wise and good, the work, the projects, the civil projects, uh, they're, they're good and, and wise, no doubt, but you look at the process by which the effort would be staffed and you think, that, that probably isn't God's plan, amen? That's probably not God's plan. Um, does the fact that it was done this way before, even back in Joshua's days, the fact that it was done before, that there's historical precedent for doing this, does that make it okay in Solomon's day? You ever struggle with that sometimes? Well, sure, I'm doing this, but it's always been done this way. Or, sure, I'm doing this, but, you know, if you look back, if you look back in, in time or, or back in history, he did it that way. He did it this way. That person here, in, you know, that year did it this way. So if I'm doing it wrong today, well, I'm not the first one, so it must be okay. By the way, if something is wrong, is it wrong regardless of how many people have done it that way in the past? It is. Yeah, these people aren't even supposed to be here. They're not supposed to be there and available to be enslaved. Um, we could say much about slavery. Uh, we'll, not, we'll not do that tonight, but uh, we can very confidently say that this would not have been God's will or his plan. Um, by the way, the fact that the people were were there and available. You ever, you ever struggle with this? Um, boy, you know, I. I, I know that, Doing this, making this choice, it's really not biblical, Brother Garcia. It's really not biblical, but God made it possible for me to do that, and so it must be okay. You ever struggle with that idea at all? Um, I, I've had people say to me that, well, I don't, don't want to get into details, but I've had people say to me things like that. God made it possible for this, and and so it must be his will. This is how it's been done in the past, and these people are here available to be enslaved, so it must be okay. God made it possible, and our people have done it this way in the past. It must be okay. Um, If something is contrary to scripture, um, it is what? It's contrary to scripture, and if it's contrary to scripture, it's that three-letter S word, sin, regardless of whether or not It's possible to sin, or regardless of whether or not people in the past have sinned, it's still sin. Amen? Lord, help us just get a hold of that. We look to, or we're tempted to, justify our sinful decisions all different kinds of ways. But at the end of the day, if it's sin, it's sin no matter what. Uh, There are explanations for sin but there are never legitimate justifications for sin. Amen? You can always explain your sin, but you cannot justify it. Uh, how is sin justified? What is it? Yeah, it's the blood of Christ is applied to it. That's the only way, that's the only way. And that's not making it right, that's just covering it. Amen, That, that that's covering it. Um, Solomon did refrain from making uh, Israelite servants. He instead wisely organized them into sort of an administrative hierarchy. You see, verse 22. Let's just look quickly here. But of the children of Israel, did Solomon make no bondmen? He didn't make them slaves. Uh, but they were men of war, and his servants, and his princes, and his captains, the rulers of his chariots, in uh, his horsemen. He um, he put together an infrastructure, an administrative. Um, well, much is known actually about this, but much is known. Uh, he appears to be a very skilled and wise administrator and organizer uh, of, of the various civil needs. And not surprising, the Lord gave him unmatched wisdom. Verse 23 there were the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work, 500. Uh, and 50, which bear rule over the people that wrought in the work. Uh, Verse 24 says this, But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David unto her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then did he build Milo. I'm not going to say much about that tonight. Um, Let's just look at the last several verses and we'll be done. Um, You see here in verses 25, 26, um, worship worship. Um, Let's see this. Verse 25, three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings. Uh, These would be the the feasts of unleavened bread of Pentecost and tabernacles. Uh, Three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built unto the Lord, and he burnt incense upon the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the house. Uh, the temple, no doubt, is what's in view here. Uh, the three occasions, again, would be the feasts of Unleavened Bread, of Pentecost, Tabernacles. We've studied them in some length and uh, looked at how they picture Christ. And I think I gave you a copy of that handout again recently. But if you don't have that, you'd like to have that, just let me know and I'll get you one of those. Um, the offerings, which he um, he performed here... Uh, the burnt offering and the peace offering obviously also picture Christ, um, Christ in the, in the burnt offering being offered completely, offered himself completely for our sin as the offering was burnt completely. Uh, the peace offering, obviously Christ uh, pictured as the one that makes peace with the Father possible. Uh, and so we understand these things. We, we've looked at these a number of times. Um, What I want you to consider for a moment, though, is who is performing these offerings? Who is performing these offerings? It would seem to be the case, right? If we we read the verses, uh, the verse literally three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built unto the Lord. If, if you understand it literally, it looks like it is, it is he. Uh, and he burnt incense upon the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the house um, of the Lord. Um, some have raised the issue about whether or not it was appropriate for Solomon to uh, to be doing this, I don't necessarily view that as an issue. There's, there's another possibility here. Um, Solomon is, who is he? What's his role at this point in time? He's king. And what is the role of the person who would more typically perform these offerings? A priest. So here he is um, pictured in verse 25 as a king-priest. Is there a sense in which solomon may picture someone here is there that sense is that is that a possibility um is there another king priest who you're glad that you know tonight yeah yeah um king of kings and lord of lords who very much um, performs the function of priest on our behalf interceding uh, on our behalf with god the father even tonight uh, we understand from scripture so uh, I think there's a very real possibility the Lord intends uh, here to furnish us with a picture, a type uh, of Christ who is the ultimate perfect uh, king priest. consider that uh, consider that the Lord is, as we've said so many times, working throughout Old Testament history to uh, equip and to prepare the Jewish mind for the coming of their Messiah and this idea of a king-priest um, is, is certainly consistent with that observation. Um, I'll read the last several verses. I won't say too much about it tonight. It's just another example of, of Solomon's wisdom. Uh, he established a navy, uh, a navy uh, in the Mediterranean, evidently. He, um, well, verse twenty six says that King Solomon made a navy of ships. Uh, in Ezion-Geber, which is beside Eloth uh, on the shore of the Red Sea, uh, on the shore of Red Sea, forgive me, uh, in the land of Edom, uh, and Hiram sent in the navy his servants. Um, Hiram, king of Tyre, is the one who was on the the Mediterranean, had all kinds of experience uh, and men being part of that major trading port that was Tyre, and so here again, the Lord is graciously providing for Solomon. He he could build some ships, but he needs some experienced uh, uh, seamen, and and so Hiram, Hy- let me try that again. Hiram, king of Tyre. There we go. Uh, provides them. Verse twenty-seven. They had knowledge of the sea. Uh, verse twenty-eight. They came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold four hundred and twenty talents and brought it to King Solomon. So, uh, evidently, this. Um, fleet of ships is utilized in trade uh, to continue providing for the financial needs of, of Solomon and, and the people in his kingdom, uh, but no doubt had some military utility also. So, uh, wisdom, wisdom. Wonderful pictures of wisdom tonight. Wisdom that came from where? Where did it come from? God. Lord, please help us to know your wisdom help us to avail ourselves of the Proverbs, your wisdom. Who penned uh, the Proverbs down? Solomon, who had unparalleled wisdom from the Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to avail yourself of your wisdom. Lord, help us to be thankful tonight for your provision and for your grace, even for your correction, which is gracious. Uh, In James 1, we've seen past couple of Sundays, that our response, what are some right responses to God's correction, to manifold temptations and trials? What are some responses, guys, that we've seen, that God calls us to? Got one? Pray. Pray for wisdom. Be thankful. Rejoice. Count it all joy. god's grace exercised in and through trials which can be correction they're not always correction we understand that but sometimes they are that's god's grace him graciously investing in our correction i think we see some of that here tonight together with the other things that we've seen and so let's take a moment and pray we'll thank the lord for these things and zach come and lead us in a song and, and we'll pray let's bow our heads father thank you uh, tonight, for the the various things that we've seen here, uh, Lord, I I can most definitely see Your hand at work in this passage, and we thank You for that. You're not a faraway God who is not invested or active in the lives of Your people. You're a an imminent God, a God who indwells us, who is very much investing uh, in the in the lives of Your people today, us. Lord, you do correct us when we need it. You teach us how to respond to that. Thank you. Lord, you provide for us always, despite the fact that we do not deserve that. Lord, thank you. We're grateful. Lord, in both of those ideas, we see your grace pictured so clearly. Father, we see your grace in Solomon's life as you provide and as you correct lord we see your grace in our lives as you provide and correct us lord thank you so much for being the gracious god that you are we do not deserve a savior we do not deserve your provision but you've chosen us you love us you invest in us lord thank you so very much tonight teach us to be grateful. Lord, teach us to love you right back the way you desire with our obedience. Lord, help us to yield ourselves to you that we might find strength from you to demonstrate our love back to you in obedience to you. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you so very much. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. All right, Zach, you come lead us in the next song, please.